This is part of God's plan. Politics in America isn't about my plan, and it isn't about my party's plan. I have beliefs. I have strong beliefs. Uh, I want to act on those, and I want to be a faithful citizen. Uh, but ultimately, politics unfolds according to God's plan. He uses this plan to achieve his ends, and that gives me comfort. That gives me comfort. Even when I see what I saw yesterday, I can rest in the comfort that this is part of God's plan. The results of elections and those things, those are in his hands, not mine. The other thing I think is be careful that we're not idolatrous when it comes to our politics. That we don't put it at the center of our lives and define ourselves through our political attachments. You know, as Christians, we're obviously defined by our relationship to Christ. We're not defined by our political beliefs. So we have to really watch this idolatrous tendency that we all have when it comes to the political world. You know what we're about to do? We're about to get real. We're about to have conversations that Christians have behind closed doors, the scary ones, the ones that make you feel uncomfortable. That's where we're going. Why? Because we're family. Ustedes son mi familia. So this is the Brian and Janelle podcast. She's Janelle and I'm Brian. If you don't want to miss anything, all you have to do is hit the subscribe button to get a notification whenever we drop a new episode. This is the Brian and Janelle podcast. Hey there, it's Brian. One of the more famous moments in American history was when Franklin Delano Roosevelt, live on the radio, addressing Congress, said, Yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. Among those dates that live in infamy in American history, who would have thought that January 6th, 2021 would be on that list. But no doubt, I used to teach history, looked at plenty of textbooks. The events that transpired as a mob busted into the nation's capital will be in our history books forever. We as followers of Jesus can't ignore things like this. In fact, it can be quite a challenge for us to understand them. So what we did just a few days ago on Brian and Janelle live morning show was have a good friend stop by who's probably the perfect person to discuss this. Dr. Mark Caleb Smith is a professor of political science and chair of the political science department at Cedarville University. And he's also a bold follower of Jesus. So he knows how to put Christ ahead of politics. And he's an expert in the field of political science. So we asked him all the hard questions and the challenging ones and the easy ones and all that we could come up with that we've been getting from listeners and been thinking of ourselves tied to the unbelievable events that took place at the nation's capital. So we grabbed that conversation for you and we'll present it to you right now. So you love Jesus, you love political science, you teach it to the Christian youth of America and you watched what unfolded yesterday. Just give me your Dr. Mark Caleb Smith reaction to what you saw. 
Well, when I was first watching the, the video footage spill out of the Capitol, um, I was really d disturbed, honestly. Uh, I've spent a lot of time at the Capitol building. You know, we have a Washington, D.C. semester. Uh, we always take tours of the Capitol. I have lots of former students who work there uh, as interns, but who also work there professionally. And so I've roamed those halls. I've been on those steps. Um, and to watch it be ransacked and vandalized was just, uh, it was disturbing. You know, I, it may sound corny to people and it may be an overstatement, but I see that as sacred space. You know, that's, a, that's a, as one person said, it's the temple of democracy. And to see it treated that way uh, disparagingly for selfies and for photo ops uh, was just, it was, it was too much at that level. Um, you know, at one point I was worried that it was going to be even more bloody, you know, that they were coming armed and dangerous and that we were going to hear about the killing of our elected officials. Um, thankfully that did not happen, at least not to that scale, but uh, it was, it was shocking. And obviously I've never seen anything like it. Well, and see, that's where I wanted to go next because a lot of folks covering this didn't have many articulate words to share other than unprecedented. You and I love to talk about history. Is that an accurate label? Has anything like this ever happened before? Well, the only thing that I can think of really practically is the Civil War was obviously a time of, of secession and, uh, and hostility. Uh, but we didn't see this kind of thing happen at the Capitol. Uh, this really goes back to, to 1812, you know, when our Capitol was burned uh, by the British, when it was desecrated fully uh, during a conflict. But, but beyond that, no, I, I, there's never been anything like this. Um, but you know, for, for your listeners who, who are close political watchers, we did see state capitals occupied this summer. Yeah. Right? In Michigan, there is a state capital that was occupied. A few years ago, the state capital of Wisconsin was occupied by a protest. And so we've seen this sort of thing happen recently. And in that sense, maybe it shouldn't have been so shocking to us. But uh, no, nothing like this has happened. So then are you surprised? Yeah, I was, I was surprised. No question. I was surprised that it happened. I was surprised that uh, security wasn't ready for something like this given the nature of the protest yesterday. Uh, it was lightly guarded. You know, if you've ever been around the Capitol, there's always security, but there's never an army of people there, right? There's yeah. always sort of a cordon of security there, but uh, never, you know, there are not thousands of Capitol Hill police officers ready to be dispatched at a moment's notice. It just isn't like that. So uh, I was surprised that it happened. But in another way, it didn't feel all that surprising based on what we've seen the last several months. You know, yeah. we, we know that people have been challenging these election results, and we know that this has been a persistent theme, and there's been a great deal of emotion and frustration spilled across social media and elsewhere over the past couple of months. And in that sense, you know, after watching the protest yesterday, it didn't feel all that shocking. I want to get to some of the political specifics, since that's your area of expertise, but I know you love Jesus first, so let me just have you... I don't, I don't want to say switch hats because you're always wearing your Jesus hat. It's kind of awkward, dude, but okay. So uh, your, your heartfelt Christian reaction yesterday, like what is your, your Holy Spirit response as you watch this unfold? Not just your politics stuff, but your Jesus. Yeah, I, I was thankful that it wasn't worse, right? I was thankful to God that it wasn't as bad as it could have been. 
Um, you know, we first got reports that there were staff members huddled on the floor and that members of Congress were being uh, swept out of the rooms and that they were putting on uh, face masks and, and things that you just, you know, your thoughts are that it's going to be far worse. And so I was thankful to God that it wasn't, that it wasn't as bad as it could be. Um, and I'm thankful to God and his sovereignty that all of this is working out his plan, whatever that plan looks like. But I will tell you, it was, uh, it was, it was disturbing as a believer and it was disturbing as a political scientist. So I know you study all these things, and we've had a whole bunch of people texting in questions and comments, I think almost in disbelief of what took place, trying to explain it. And one of the things we've seen a lot of, and I'd love your reaction to this, is that there's a bunch of people telling us, well, those really weren't who they said they were. That was actually Antifa, Black Lives Matter, and Democrats in disguise trying to make conservatives look bad. Well, we, we know now for sure that at least a couple of those people are either current office holders, assembly members in West, from West Virginia, former office holders from Pennsylvania. Uh, these are rural people from Arkansas. Um, so again, we don't know who all of these people are, but some of these identities are starting to come out and they're not Antifa members. Now, it's possible that some of these folks were infiltrated by other groups and that some of those people were there to, uh, to commit violence, but uh, right now there's really no evidence that I know of um, that this is anything more than what it looked like. A splinter group from the rally yesterday decided to turn uh, violent to that extent, and that's what happened. Yeah, I'm sure if it's more than that, we'll find out. Yeah, people have to keep in mind that there are plenty of media outlets and plenty of people who would love to... Uh, spin this in a different direction if the facts allow for it. You know, right now, I don't, I don't see the facts allowing for it. What's the consequence of a follower of Christ passing the blame to somebody else other than who was the perpetrator? Yeah, I mean, we have to be willing to deal with, with the reality of this situation. You know, clearly the people to blame are the people that broke in and that did, that did the deed, so to speak. You know, they're the ones responsible ultimately. But uh, there are tendrils of this that go in many, many different directions. Um, you know, I, I don't know how late you all stayed up. I know you have an early morning this morning, obviously. But uh, Mitt Romney spoke last night from the floor of the Senate, and he said the best thing that we could do to assure the American people is to tell them the truth. And as followers of Christ, that should be our obligation here. Who are the people that did this? Who's responsible for it? Uh, and let's be very clear about it. And if we have ourselves to blame to some extent, then we should take our own responsibility for what took place. And I understand our, our partisan loyalties might get in the way of that sometimes, but uh, we have to be seeking for the truth here, not just uh, political convenience. And you know, that seems to be the, the topic du jour, though, doesn't it? I mean, truth in an era where I think many of us question what it may be, outside of the scriptures, of course. And that was really the instigator of the event yesterday, not only what was happening in Congress on their ceremonial role, so to speak, of confirming the electoral votes, but on just the reason people were protesting. There is questions among many Americans, as I understand it, Doc, about the integrity of the election and that fraud was widespread. You've studied this. You're a political scientist. What have you found? Right now, there's just no meaningful evidence of any kind of significant fraud. Uh, there are allegations. There are thousands of allegations. There are 
pieces of testimony. There are affidavits that have been filed, but none of those things are really evidence that have been brought into a court of law. And we've seen testimonies that have been given. We've seen media events that have taken place. Uh, we've seen all kinds of frenzied allegations and claims of software and hardware malfeasance. Uh, but whenever those things have been brought into a court, even with Trump-appointed judges and other people who've been sitting there, uh, they've never amounted to anything worth moving forward. You know, I, I can't claim to know everything that happened with the you know, hundreds of millions of votes that were cast, but there have been plenty of judges who are uh, clearly from the right side of the spectrum, if you think of it politically speaking, and they've come to a universal agreement that there's just simply not anything here. Now, there are a lot of media outlets and a lot of politicians who want to continue to push a different narrative because it suits their purposes. And my fear is a lot of people have bought into that. I understand, and I understand we have strong desires, and I understand uh, we have deep hope for what might have happened on November 3rd, uh, but at some point we have to grapple with what the evidence says. And right now there's just not enough evidence to say something, some sort of massive fraud took place. And Doc, someone's screaming at their radio, or a lot of people going, didn't you see the YouTube video? I could send it to you. I, didn't you read the article? It's obvious. How do you respond when people say that to you? Because I'd imagine they do, since you work in the, in the business of <laughs> politics. <laughs> uh, they do, and I, I, do, I do hear those things. And so my obligation when I come across that kind of information is to then go digging a little bit more and to see if there are other explanations for what I'm looking at. Uh, and in every instance, there are other explanations. And I, I get why people are, are fearful in some ways, but they have to understand how votes are counted. You know, there are Republicans and Democrats in the room. You know, there are there are poll judges from both parties that are that are in those places. You know, there aren't just magical suitcases of ballots being manufactured and counted. Uh, it just simply isn't the case at all. And I, I get it. I understand where people are getting the other information from, but right now that information just isn't credible. You know, these they're Republican secretaries of state and Republican election officials across the country who've been looking at these things for the past couple of months, and they're all reaching the same kinds of conclusions. So either they're all in on the conspiracy from top to bottom, or the more likely explanation is there just simply isn't enough fraud to matter. You know, Doc, one of the really interesting comments I've heard from a number of people, and I just knew this was going to come up, was how do we explain the difference between yesterday, people who maybe feel there's an unjust government not representing them well, and doesn't the Declaration of Independence say they have a right to armed revolt, like happened in 1776? Yeah, there are all sorts of interesting <laughs> parallels, aren't there? There um, really are, though. <clears throat> Yeah, no, there there are, and I, you're right. I mean, the Declaration certainly says that uh, when the government ceases to carry out these ends, you know, it's the right of the people to uh, to alter or overthrow it. And I can understand why people are frustrated and why what they think they're seeing is a deprivation of rights. You know, I I, I guess if you're convinced that um, your vote has been essentially taken away during this election. Uh, then you have been aggrieved. You know, the government's no longer securing your basic fundamental right to vote. I don't think that's the case. You know, that's where I would, that's where I would first draw a comparison. Uh, you know, there's no question that the British were depriving Americans of their rights as they saw them at that moment, especially their right to property through taxation. Uh, it's hard to argue the same thing here. 
And even if you think that's the case, then you have to think carefully about uh, the different layers of government that are supposedly in on this. It would be local government, it would be state governments, it would be the federal government, it would be the entire apparatus of the United States government acting to suppress a vote. Again, I just don't simply think that's happening. But even if it were happening, you know, I think there are better ways to go about contesting this. You know, I don't think a mob action like we saw yesterday or other actions are the best way to go about it. We have a system in place. We have a an open and available court system in place where people can bring their claims of fraud and other things and they can be evaluated. They can appeal if they lose. You know, we do have justice still that exists in this country. And as long as those courts are open and functioning and claims are being adjudicated, then we don't really have the same complaints of our founding fathers, I think, who are really being frozen out of the political process. And so even if you think there are parallels, we're not in their same kind of situation, uh, at least not to me. And, you know, one of the things I've seen that makes American theologians squirm in particular is when somebody asks them about the, the principles of the American Revolution to begin with. I mean, I don't know how far you want to go into that, but what, <laughs> what, what do you see in terms of a, a biblical look at the idea of if you're unhappy with how government's treating you, grab your guns and go take them over? Well, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> you know, you ask. No, you're fine. And I, you know, we, this question comes up frequently, and so I, I, I don't want to avoid it. But you're right. This gets to the heart of the issue, and uh, this, this is a hard discussion to have because for many people, it also gets to the heart of what it means to be an American. Yes. And that's where I would disagree. Probably, I don't think that's what it means to be American, honestly. But this is where many people define their identity as Americans in that revolution. Uh, to me, I think the Bible is pretty clear. Uh, that we have an obligation to honor and to submit to authority. And that doesn't mean we we honor and submit to the point where we're sinning, Uh, but I think the Bible is pretty clear that our obligations to government include obedience and submission. Uh, And when you look at the models in Scripture, you know, they obeyed governments to the point of submission uh, until they were put in that position of having to sin. And that's when they said, you know what, I'm not going to do this, and uh, also, when they did that, they took the consequences. So, you know, Daniel or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, I can't do this, the government's asking me to do, so I won't, but then I'll accept whatever consequences you put forward. You can put me in a lion's den, you can throw me into a fiery furnace, uh, but I'm not going to obey. And so I don't see the same kind of right to revolution in Scripture the way that people might hope that it's there uh, when they look at the American Revolution. So I, I don't think that it's an easy argument to make based on Scripture. But I think this does get to these questions that we have, you know, where we've kind of, and some of us have bound up our political beliefs and our theological beliefs in a sort of one ball of belief. And you have to be really careful when you do that. You know, you have to search Scripture. You have to also search your own heart to think about uh, where your politics really comes from. Now, you know, one of the other things I'm seeing that's always been around but seems to be amping up is political conspiracy theories, As particularly yeah. after QAnon became a real big phenomenon a few years ago. What role do political conspiracy theories, Dr. Mark Caleb Smith, have in the Christian life? Uh, you know, I think that their conspiracy theories are by definition false, right? If they were true, they wouldn't be conspiracy theories, they'd be truth. And so I think when we peddle conspiracy theories and we, we are peddling lies, 
And as we peddle lies, whether it's on social media or through conversations that we have, uh, we are no longer people of truth. And I think that Scripture makes it pretty clear that one of our defining characteristics is to be people of truth. Christ refers to himself as the truth. He says the truth will set us free. You know, we're called to speak the truth in love. And when we engage in this kind of conspiratorial thinking, when it's not connected to reality and it's departed from the truth, then we're really missing one of these great labels of what it means to be a Christian. You know, the armor of God includes the belt of truth. And if we're not willing to take on that piece of the armor, uh, then what exactly are we doing when we enter into the political realm? This is a huge problem. This is a huge issue that we're going to have to wrestle with. Social media allows these things to spread in ways that are just unimaginable, and we've latched onto them. You know, we're not looking for alternative sources of information. We're just sort of pushing what fits our narrative, and we just move on. Uh, when those things aren't factual, then uh, we're not living up to the call that God's given us. And yet I can hear someone saying, but Doc, Watergate was the conspiracy. Jeffrey Epstein was part of some weird conspiracy. Conspiracies are a thing. Well, those were criminal conspiracies, right, that we eventually found out the truth about. So Watergate was a conspiracy to defraud the American people and to subvert our democracy. We eventually found out the truth of it, and that truth pierced the conspiracy. Same thing's true with Epstein and other things. People might claim conspiracies, uh, we have to debunk them. And wouldn't it be great if Christians were known as truth-tellers in politics? When a Christian spoke, everyone sat and said, you know what, Christians tell the truth. Hmm. I have to take this seriously. They're just not out here for their own gain. They're not out here for partisan purposes. They speak the truth. Right now, I can't. we don't, we're, we don't have that label right now. Because this is the thing you do and you're a professor, I know you've heard a lot of these and know people that believe a lot of it. When they do, they don't feel like it's conspiracy. They feel like it's truth. And it's something that's dividing family members and all that. So what's your encouragement for those who have family members that are in that situation? Now, I, I think the first, I think the word that you use that is a good place to start and it isn't comfortable is the word feeling. We feel like it's the truth, but truth isn't defined by my feelings. Truth is defined by an objective reality that exists outside of me. You know, I don't get to condition the truth based on how it gives me a psychological benefit or an emotional kick to have it. And so if we truly believe that there is something like objective truth and that exists outside of ourselves and we can find it, we can search for it. Uh, and when you, but, but I, I'm not going to pretend, you know, when you have these kinds of conversations with people who have different points of view and who claim to be truthful, I'm not going to pretend that it always goes well. You know, they have, as I said, they have an emotional investment in some of these beliefs. And when you challenge it, they're going to react as if you've challenged something that they're emotionally connected to. I think you have to be patient. You have to be loving. You have to be kind. You have to be gracious. But you also have to be prepared that it isn't going to be just welcomed. Sometimes this does create fractures, and we have to try to overcome those fractures. But uh, you, know, you have to be truthful and loving. You know, to be loving isn't just to ignore the truth. And so those things have to work hand in hand. And so we should be able to do both. But uh, I'm not going to pretend that it's simple. So, Dr. Mark Caleb Smith, you're a political scientist. You love the Lord. 
and you teach young people about a biblical view of politics, particularly in our country. So what's the takeaway? What do we learn from what happened yesterday? Well, for me, the the number one takeaway uh, is that, as I said before, this is part of God's plan. Politics in America isn't about my plan, and it isn't about my party's plan. I have beliefs. I have strong beliefs. Uh, I want to act on those, and I want to be a faithful citizen. Uh, But ultimately, politics unfolds according to God's plan. He uses this plan to achieve his ends, and that gives me comfort. That gives me comfort. Even when I see what I saw yesterday, and even uh, even the results of Congress meeting yesterday or the results of November 3rd election, uh, I can rest in the comfort that this is part of God's plan. So the results of elections and those things, those are in his hands, not mine. And I should be able to let them go into his hands uh, at, at the right moments and take a break and take a rest from politics when it's appropriate. So his sovereignty is what really should we should we should focus on. The other thing I think is to be careful that we're not idolatrous when it comes to our politics, that we don't put it at the center of our lives uh, and define ourselves through our political attachments. You know, as Christians, we're obviously defined by our relationship to Christ. We're not defined by our political beliefs. And so we have to really watch this idolatrous tendency that we all have, you know, that I have when it comes to the political world. Great words again. Dr. Mark Caleb Smith is professor of political science and chair of the political science department at Cedarville University. Beautiful campus with a wonderful group of people teaching academics and Christ. And I'd encourage you to go to to cedarville.edu for more. Again, cedarville.edu. Special thanks to you, Dr. Smith, for all the extra time today. I'm sure you have a busy schedule of interviews, but um, we are so grateful for your insights and your love for Christ. That's my pleasure. I always enjoy it. And thanks to you and your listeners. Happy New Year. Hey, hold up. Where are you going? You know you liked your time with us. You want more. So look down, hit that button right there, subscribe, and you'll get updated episodes and then you can hang some more. And guess what? You can help us. How? A five-star rating. You can also hang with us live weekday 6 to 9 a.m. Interact with us, talk with us, download the Moody Radio app. Or at brianandjanelle.org. And we don't put all this together all by ourselves. There's some great people behind all this production. We want to thank Ron Eastwood, Kelly Ryder, Paul Carter, Mike Reynolds, and our awesome and fearless leader, Josue Villa. And finally, this podcast is a production of Moody Radio in Cleveland, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. Well, Brian, that's a wrap. Yep. <laughs>